There is a difference between the crowd and the man in the wheelbarrow. Are you in the crowd saying, I have faith? Or are you in the wheelbarrow? Because it does not make a difference when you're on the shore. But it makes a lot of difference halfway across the tightrope. Faith in, in action is the title of this morning's sermon. We're going to spend some time uh, this morning looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 31. Now this is a, a monstrous list of men and women. We are, we are going to spend our, our time this morning looking primarily at, at the first four men. But, but don't get me wrong, this list, This monstrous list of men and women are men and women who have displayed great faith. And we're going to read this passage in just a a moment. But let me just shed some light on a list of the names that are included in this text. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Moses' parents, Moses, Joshua, Rahab. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verses 4 through 31, the author gives well-known examples from the Old Testament. He gives examples of people with, with unswerving faith in God. Men and women who held on to God's promises. Some of these people endured suffering because of their faith. Most of what the author says is is self-evident. Simply, he is citing examples from the Old Testament. But each of the people cited, as an example, accepted what God said without sufficient evidence, and they believed, and then they acted on that belief. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open up to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read through verses 40 or 4 through 31. Um, if you don't have your Bible with me, you can use one of the pew Bibles that are in front of you. I will be reading this morning out of the NIV, which is also the translation of the pew Bible in front of you. Um, so if that makes it easier for you to follow along. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start at verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness 
that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so with this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country on their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, then they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho, after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. This, brothers and sisters, is a monstrous list of men and women of great faith. And although we are only going to spend time this morning looking at the first four men listed, 
I would encourage you to spend time meditating, reflecting, dwelling upon this list of names, reading their stories. See, our faith requires action. It involves doing something on our part. Faith by itself, if not accomplished, or if not accompanied by action, is dead. Our faith requires action. A Christian must practice faith. A a doctor practices medicine. A lawyer practices law. And so a Christian must practice their faith. And and when I say practice, I mean to live it out. To perform. To apply. To act upon. And, And please note, these are words of action. Because faith requires action. And this morning, I would like to give you three ways that we can live out our faith personally. And then I want to shift gears a little bit and provide some examples of how churches live out their faith. So let's start out this morning with how we live this out personally. The first thing we need is we need to have a faith that worships. In in verse 4 of chapter 11, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. It wasn't enough for Abel to say he believed in God. He heard the voice of God and he used the faith that he had in God. He practiced his faith. He put it into action and he believed. Worship. That is what the creator of the universe is seeking. Abel made a sacrifice that was acceptable. Abel made a sacrifice that was pleasing unto God. We can read in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. So if we connect the dots, we can conclude that Abel had faith. That he was living out his faith. And he was living it out in a way that God wanted him to do so. Did you know that 78.5% of Americans refer to themselves as being Christian? 78.5%. How many of that 78.5% are putting their faith in God into action and worshiping? And I mean truly worshiping God. I mean, remember, faith without action is dead. As people who claim to be Christians... As a group meeting together in a church claiming to be Christians, our faith, a faith that worships, should look much different than the way others worship their gods and their idols. But does it? 
Francis Chan said, something is wrong with our lives when our lives make sense to unbelievers. We should be showing so much faith in the way that we worship that unbelievers just stand in amazement. And we worship through sacrifice. I mean, it's easy to come here on a Sunday morning and sing and lift our hands and and maybe rock back and forth a little bit when you're feeling good about life. When your life is full of rainbows and glitter and unicorns and things are going really smooth. But it is difficult. It is hard and it is painful to give God your best when your bank account is low. When one more thing just broke down. When your kids are sick. When you're fighting with your wife. When you lost your job. Or or maybe death breaks that peaceful surface in your life. But you see, Abel gave his best lamb. The one without spot or blemish. It didn't matter to him what he had left. He gave his best. He put it into action. The faith that he had in God. And it pleased God. Do you have faith in God that is worthy of the God you praise? Are you just talking about faith? How about starting today by living out your faith? By living out that faith that you have in the all-powerful, that faith you have in the almighty, that faith you have in the all-amazing God who we worship. Put your faith into action every day by worshiping God, by sacrificially worshiping Him. A worship that will cause unbelievers to stare in amazement. That will cause them to question you. Uh, worship with a faith that causes you to jump into the wheelbarrow and say, let's go. You see, we also need a faith of substance. In verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. If you honestly look at yourself, are you showing just lip service about your faith? Do you just talk about it? Or is there substance behind your words? Are you talking the talk? Or are you walking the walk? Enoch pleased God with his walk. When Enoch, with Enoch, it was more than just words. There was substance. There was action behind his faith. And, and that means that he had faith as, as he walked his everyday walk with God. His actions pleased God. Then one day as he was walking his walk with God, 
God took him. A, a faith of substance has to do with the way you live your life. No matter what time of day or what time of night, no matter if you're alone or surrounded by others, whether it's sunshine or rain, whether you're feeling comfort, or whether your life is just pounded with pain, a faith of substance has the power to form character. And a character that does not fear death. When people hear you talk about your faith, have you just been, have you been putting into action and practicing it in such a way that your faith has substance? Or is it just merely talk and stories? Are you with the crowd just, just standing on the shore yelling, yes, I have faith? In James chapter 1 verse 22, James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we peel back that fake illusion that we want others to see, that photoshopped version of ourselves, if we expose the raw nerves of our lives, we would admit that we are really good at hearing. And we're even really good at reciting back. But we are desperately lacking when it comes to putting it into practice. We are lacking in the substance of faith. Realize, you definitely are not fooling God or Satan. And you probably aren't even fooling those around you especially your spouse and your children. Therefore, if, if you're talking the talk of faith, yet you're not practicing your faith, what is the profit to you? I mean, what are you gaining from that? I mean, nothing. I mean, because talk is cheap. I mean, without faith, without substance, it's dead. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I challenge you to start living out your faith today by walking day by day in the faith that we have in our Lord. As much as you tell people that you are a Christian... Let them see it. Let them stand and wonder at amazement of your faith. A faith that is not merely words, but a faith that has substance. A faith that, that places you in that wheelbarrow as you go across that tightrope. 
Thirdly, we need to have a faith that is willing. Verses 7 to 8 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping, that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go a place, he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God called Noah and Abraham, and they both responded. They were willing to do what God said. Noah obeyed God, and he put it into action, the faith that he had in God. God asked him to build an ark in the middle of the desert, and it had never rained before. He served his God, and he believed in his God enough to put on his carpenter's apron and do a massive work. I mean, it was a work of great magnitude. I mean, it was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. I mean, have you ever wondered if, if Noah said to those around him, do you know how much wood it's going to take to build this ark? I, I mean, God can make it happen. But there's no way we're going to be able to come up with this much wood. It was also a work of great duration. Noah worked 120 years building the ark. I mean, is your faith willing are you willing to endure faithfully to the end? Abraham also obeyed God. He was willing in his faith to listen to God and to respond. God tested Abraham early to see if he was willing. In Genesis chapter 22, we read that God again tested Abraham's faith. God tested him to see if Abraham is willing to put his faith into action. Early in life, Abraham was willing to leave his home and go where God was sending him. He had a faith that was willing and he went. But here in Genesis 22, God is asking Abraham to put his faith in God into action and sacrifice his only son, the promised child. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. It was by faith, a willing faith, that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. He was willing. He was ready. He was about to sacrifice his only son. Abraham was, was willing to offer his own son. He put his faith into action and obeyed even when a considerable sacrifice was involved. Noah built an ark based on things unseen. 
He put his faith into action and obeyed despite the judgment of others. You see, obedience is the acid test of faith. Is your faith willing? A faith that pleases God is a faith that is lived out and put into action. It is a faith that is used in obedience no matter what. A faith that is willing to be obedient to the amazement of unbelievers. A faith that is willing to race to that front of that line and say, I am ready to climb into that wheelbarrow. You see, our faith requires action. If you claim to be a Christian, if that word ever leaves your lips and there is no action behind your faith, then maybe you need to look hard and deep at what God's word's declaring and what your life is declaring. I mean, are you quick to stand in the crowd and claim to have faith? Or do you have a faith that worships? Do you have a faith with substance? Do you have a faith that is willing despite the cost? It is a faith that allows you to climb into the wheelbarrow as you look towards the tightrope. I want to shift focus from what obedience looks like in faith personally and briefly, briefly look at, at what this means for the church. Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson were camping one night. In the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes awoke and looked up at the stars. He asked Watson, what do you see? Watson, awoken from his sleep, looked up and said, stars. Holmes said, yes, but, but what do these stars tell you? Watson said, Cosmologically, they tell me that we are part of a large universe, that we are one of billions and billions of planets. Theologically, they tell me that we have a great God who made it all. Meteorologically, they tell me that the sky is clear and that we have good weather tomorrow. Temp temporarily, they tell me that it is the middle of the night and we should be sleeping. Watson looked at Sherlock and said, well, what do they tell you? Well, Holmes replied, they tell me that someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> Just... I know. But let me ask you that very question. What do you see? As you reflect back over the past years, the past months, the past weeks, where do you see Grace Baptist Church of Millersville going? I mean, do we have a clear direction? Do we have a clear picture of what's going on? Do we have a desired destination? Do we have a vision? Now, keeping those questions in your mind, I want to briefly touch on three types of churches in regards to faith. The first is the church of the past. This is a church that is always looking backwards. All the people ever talk about are the good old days. They miss what is happening today because they are always looking back to yesterday. Decisions in this kind of church are based on what worked in the past. 
If it was good enough for them, then it is good enough for us. Now, while you can learn from the past, and it is good to remember the past, you cannot live there. You have to live and adapt to where you are, or you will perish. One of the biggest mistakes people who are serving in other countries or in other cultures is to act as if they are still in their own native land. This does nothing but make them miserable and does not work. They miss opportunities to connect to those around them. They miss opportunities to experience the things that they are to experience. You have to adapt in order to serve well, in order to live well. Too many churches are spending their time and resources lamenting the past when they should be adapting to the future. What has worked in the past may not work in the present because the audience has changed. A German theologian, Theolik, said the gospel must be preached afresh and told in new ways to every generation, since every generation has its own unique questions. The gospel must constantly be forwarded to a new address, because the recipient is repeatedly changing his place of residence. It is impossible to serve God yesterday. You cannot live off of yesterday's bread. It does not matter how much God has used the church in the past, how will He use it in the future? A a church needs to approach tomorrow with faith, the same faith that we need personally, A faith of worship, a faith of substance, and a faith that is willing. If we have a church of the past, then we do not have those things. And our faith will suffer. The second church is the church of the present. A church of the present is always concerned with pressing issues. It is a church that is busy. It is a church that has so many needs that it finds its focus on immediate issues. It seems to always be in maintenance mode, just trying to keep its head above water. Decisions in this kind of church are based on immediate assets. The number one question is always, do we have the money now to support this? A pig ate its fill of acorns under an oak tree and then started to root around the tree. A crow who landed on a branch nearby looked at the pig and said, You should not do this. If you lay bare the roots of the tree, the tree will surely die. Let it die, said the pig. Who cares as long as there are acorns? The church of the present is realistic, the church of the present is comfortable. As long as the services are good and the needs are met and the people are happy, then all is well. If it isn't broke, then don't fix it. See, the problem with the church of the present is that it is walking by sight and not by faith. You do not have to have faith when you're only dealing in the present and just maintaining the issues you have at hand. Our church needs to have a greater vision of God's plan and purpose. Do our prayers reflect God's greater glory? 
Are our thoughts on the present? Or can we see the big picture? Does our faith allow us to have a larger vision? Charles Swindoll said, Vision encompasses vast vistas outside the realm of the predictable, the safe, and the expected. Lastly, this leaves us with the church of the future. The church of the future is always looking forward. They believe that the best is yet to come. They invest all they have today so that they can be all that God wants them to be tomorrow. One of the reasons that churches do not take risks is fear of failure. We as individuals are afraid of failure. However, failure is just part of life and is often necessary if you're going to have any sort of success. If you aren't failing, then you aren't trying. If we're going to act in faith, then as the church moves forward with vision, we must be willing to accept the fact that there will be times in the future that we may fail along the way that we may fall short along the way, that things may not work out the way we have planned along the way. Jonas Salk attempted 200 unsuccessful vaccinations for polio before he came up with the one that worked. Someone asked him one time, how did it feel to fail 200 times trying to invent a vaccine for polio? This was how... Jonas Salk responded, I never failed 200 times at anything in my life. My family taught me never to use that word. I simply discovered 200 ways how not to make a vaccine for polio. We read earlier that by faith, Noah went and built an ark. I mean, think about this. He invested everything he had into something that seemed completely impossible. Can you imagine building a boat in your backyard in the day there there were no cranes to move it? Though he could not see it nor understand it, he based his life on God's Word and was willing to wait 120 years to see the promise fulfilled. Noah's faith Noah's vision was based on what had been told by God. By faith, Abraham left his home and went into the promised land. Though he was living in a tent, he saw a future city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. His faith allowed him to believe God and base his life on that vision through his faith. We cannot, allow our, we cannot allow our tendency to measure what can be accomplished on too small of a scale. We lose the wide-angle view when we are riveted on the here and now and the up close. Jesus entrusted 11 weak and frightened men with the help of the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel. This is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us who claim to have a saving faith. It was through God's power and God's vision that they changed the world by faith in that power, in that vision. Instead of looking at the past 
or trusting in the present. They saw God's future church and boldly went forward to make it happen. Where is our faith? In what direction is our church looking? Is it in the past? Is it in the present? And is it in the future? How much are we willing to lay on the line because of our faith? Soren Kierkegaard, in a classic proverb called the Duckland Story, he imparts some insightful wisdom. It was Sunday morning in Duckland, and all the ducks uh, more than happily came to church, waddling through the doors and down the aisles into their pews where they comfortably squatted. When they were all well settled and the hymns were sung, the duck minister waddled to his pulpit, opened the duck Bible, and read, Ducks, you have wings, and with wings you can fly like eagles. You can soar into the sky. Use your wings. It was marvelous. Elevating. It was, it was one of the greatest readings from the duck Bible that had ever happened. And thus all the ducks quacked with a hearty amen. And then they plopped down from their pews and waddled home. Do you profess to have faith? Is it all just talk? Like the group of people watching the tightrope act, saying, I'm sure, I have no doubt that he can push a person across in a wheelbarrow. Or do you have a faith that worships? A faith of substance? A faith that is willing? Does your faith cause unbelievers to be amazed as you walk boldly towards the wheelbarrow and climb in? As a church... Are we anchored in the past, content in the present? Or by faith do we move forward to the future, believing that the best is yet to come? Faith requires action. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, Lord, we are thankful. Thankful for your word. Thankful that we can read about men and women who lived a life of great faith. Who acted upon things that were unseen. Who walked boldly. Who provide us with great examples of how we should live. Father, as we claim to be Christians, as we claim to be those who follow Christ, who have a saving knowledge of Christ, Father, allow us to show that by the way that we live. And the way that we live with a faith. A faith that amazes unbelievers. A faith that will draw unbelievers to ask questions on how we could possibly, how could we possibly live the way we do. Father, allow that to, allow that to pour into the church that we love. 
Allow us to, to be a part of a church that is, that is not looking backwards, that is not content with the present, but is constantly looking forward to the future. Because, Father, the best is yet to come. Convict us, Father, when our faith is weak. Convict us, Father, when it is just lip service, when we are not following through with our walk. Remind us of chapter 11. Father, again, we are thankful for the work that you're doing in our lives. We ask that you would just continue to guide us and lead us as we leave these doors this morning. Father, again, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.